to head on goal, and Jordan Morris has done it. Appealing in vain for offside, the Chicago Fire defenders. Jordan Morris from the doorstep saves the day for the Sounders. the other way. Look who's running hard after defensively. Wayne Rooney, the net is empty. Big collision by the captain. That is unbelievable effort. Rooney putting one up. Bacosta. The Stateside Soccer Show with Logan and Jordan. Hello and welcome to the Stateside Soccer Show. My name is Jordan Wiegand. With me as always is Logan Stump. How's it going, everybody? Going good. Uh, today we are bringing you our our uh, season preview of FC Dallas. Uh, we did have this one scheduled for earlier, but due to the weather conditions down there before, we had to, uh, you know, push it back. So we are now finally getting back around to it. Uh, what uh, What are you most excited to talk about, Logan, with with FC Dallas? I think it's a combination thing. I think it's looking at the moves that they've made over the offseason to see if it's a team that's gotten better. They defend really well, um, which, you know, I think that that was something when I was looking at it, it wasn't like they were horrible defensively. They, they really struggle with uh, the attack, obviously. And I think that that's something with the right acquisitions. I think it's definitely something that you can fix. It's something that when you're looking at a team and you're struggling to find goals, I think it's easier to replace that than when it uh, backlines defensively just breaking down. I think it's got uh, an easier fix and, and spending the amount of money uh, you can quickly fix an attack, which, you know, I like some of the pieces that they've added. So I think that they're definitely trying. Um, it'll just be interesting to see if it works out as well. And who do we have with us today for that? Yeah, so we have Dan Crook. He is coming on. He's from the third degree net and it's third degree.net. That's why the name is that. And then he also writes for some MLS picks him up. So I know that he's been featured there a couple of times and he does a really nice job with uh, Buzz Carrick who they do a podcast and um, they've got some other hosts that I don't remember the names, but uh, it's, it's really well done. It's very interesting. Um, and they, they've done a really good job of covering FC Dallas. So let's go ahead and welcome him in right now. Uh, we have Dan Crook with us today from Third Degree Net covering FC Dallas. How are you today? Good, thanks. And, uh, you know, thanks for having me. It's a lot of fun getting to talk soccer with people, especially <laughs> in these uh, COVID times, all the scary stuff. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so for our uh, listeners out there, if you wanted to say, you know, like how long you've been uh, covering Dallas and what kind of drew you to the area, I guess? Uh, yeah, you know, worked in soccer in the UK and uh, moved to Dallas in 2012. And uh, I was like, right, I need to go watch my local team. And then got the itch of, guess I need to write about my local team too now. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, so floated about a little bit. And uh, Third Degree, who uh, is actually, this is how old it is. It's the home of the original MLS Power Rankings. Um, so they've been around since 97 and they said, wow. Hey, do you want to come on board and, and do some stuff? So I've been doing them and, uh, in, uh, pre COVID times, uh, major league soccer's website as well. Awesome. And where can people find, uh, is it like, a uh, the website or the Twitter handle, if you wanted to share that? Yeah. Uh, the website is third degree.net. Um, you know, we just cover every really soccer of all levels in North Texas. So, uh, Lots of academy talk if you want to see who the next guy getting sold for crazy amounts to Juventus will be. <laughs> yeah, we had that whole transfer saga uh, just a little bit ago with uh, Brian Reynolds. 
Yeah, it was kind of back and forth. Yeah, that that was a strange one. Uh, you know, it was effectively he wanted to go to Juventus. Uh, FC Dallas wanted him to go to Roma because uh, Toyota Golf's sorry Golf States Toyota, who sponsored the stadium, is actually owned by the same guy as Roma. So they were like, "Hey, here's our business partner. He will pay us very quickly. Do this." Um, you know, there are there are a few holdups there. Um, FC Dallas really need the money now. Whereas Juventus are like, hey, well, you know, we'll pay you in six months' time. And, um, which, uh, when Reggie Cannon left, uh, apparently they, it sounds like they got burned on. So uh, by Boa Vista. Right, right. Yeah, like making late payments and such. You know, like uh, all those fun European things. It's just what we yeah. do, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Interesting. What, what yeah. did you cover uh, over in England when you were there? Any specific teams or just general? Football. Uh, I uh, I worked for uh, a non-league team, so it was really just oh, cool. kind of doing like the a lot of the PR stuff and, and coverage, and you know working around with uh, different media outlets trying to generate some some coverage. So it just That's seemed awesome. a natural fit to go to the other side of that. Right, right. My sister used to live in England for a time. Uh, my nephew was born there, um, but they lived up in uh, like uh, up, up in uh harrogate okay yeah so i've been happy to see harrogate make the league two uh (laughs) this year yeah definitely it'll be uh interesting to see how they go they're kind of a it's a city that's got like a a nice history of non-league football so it'd be good to Mm -hmm. see them kind of you know turn that into the uh into the top 90 uh, the top yeah the top 92 i guess and kind of try and rise up a little more Awesome. Uh, so looking back at the 2020 season for Dallas, uh, what do you think were some of the key takeaways uh, after this, after the season ended uh, other than the right back spots uh, constantly being sold over to Europe? Well, well, the first thing with Dallas's 2020 season is everyone's really thankful for the uh, COVID vaccine after missing MLS is back with yes. 13 <laughs> cases. Uh yeah, um, it, it was just a crazy season, you know. Um, at the start of the season, they were talking about, yeah, we want to get top four, we want to have a, a home playoff game, um, win the first two games, oh, win the first game against Philly, look really good in that, drew against Montreal, everything's uh, going swimmingly. And then obviously uh, the virus uh, stops everything. Again, they're kind of talking about, you know, we're, we're going to challenge for MLS's back. And then uh, Jesus Ferreira tests positive. And, you know, nothing's really thought of it. A couple of weeks later, uh, a bunch of guys uh, come down with it. And then, you know, being stuck in the bubble, it just uh, it, it kind of exacerbated things with that. Uh you know, unfortunately, the, the guys definitely uh, grew closer, particularly when you've got uh, Taylor Twelman blaming packets of Cheetos, uh, sorry, Cheez-Its, uh, for, for the uh, spread of the virus within the team and they're all raring to go. But then they get that awful restart against Nashville. Uh, Gary Smith just seems to know how to stop FC Dallas, unfortunately. Uh, when you look back to like the uh, 2010 MLS Cup and, right. and, then, <laughs> and then those first couple of games, you know, and it's a team that if you stop them scoring, they can it, it can be a, a pretty long run. Fortunately, uh, at least fortunately for Dallas, it was only the first three games that they they failed to score in, and but only one win in five was a really bad start. Particularly, you know, with the kind of lofty ambitions, uh, politic. You know, you had the uh, socio political element of mm-hmm. uh, you know Reggie Cannon. Uh, you know, he shouldn't have been put up in front of the media after the game when there were honestly all of five idiots booing uh, the players kneeling. But that was a mistake that then kind of blew up and unfortunately led to to death threats uh, to him and his family. Um, and, the, you know, then his move, which has in, been in process for, you know, a year and a half, everyone and then says, oh, players are just trying to now leave because of, of this situation, which, right. you know, just, just flat wasn't the case. But uh, just 
just a, a really just a really rough go of it until uh you know until close towards the end uh you know when you talk about the preseason target was a, a as a top four finish uh, going into the final game of the season, they could have finished as high as second uh, if results went their way and they kind of put in a really rough performance away at Minnesota and ended up, uh, you know, uh, what was it? Sixth behind uh, Colorado. So, you know, it, it, I think it's kind of a write off in a way, uh, particularly with how the, the virus affected things of how, particularly as players come through with the USL League One team, uh, you know, the movement between the teams, which was kind of key in the season before for, for both teams was, was nullified because you had to, uh, you had to have the, the COVID antibody to, to go up and down, or it was like a full uh, two week quarantine, similarly with loan situations. There were guys that could have gone out on loan, a lot earlier in the season and some minutes and got some experience and contributed in the back end of the season that were just kind of denied that by a combination of the virus and wanting to keep guys um, with the first team to, to enhance the training sessions rather than kind of provide depth in the longer run. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, like looking back on 2020 um, and kind of, we always like to ask the question uh, about departures and kind of guys that are leaving so we can get an understanding of, you know, these guys are leaving, they're important pieces that they're going to have to try and not necessarily replace, but find somebody that steps into a role and can play that role. Um, it said, you know, that you've got eight guys that ended up leaving. I mean, there's a lot of roster turnover. Um, can you speak to some of the important losses that Dallas has that will have an effect going forward in 2021 here? Yeah, I think uh, maybe not so much in terms of importance, but I mean, Michael Barrios is definitely the biggest departure. Uh, you know, he's been a solid numbers guy, but he's really kind of lost the step. Um, last season, you know, he was players that he'd ordinarily, he's blown by in, in previous seasons are suddenly catching up to him. And it kind of on. Um, it kind of exposed a, a little bit of a frailty in his game and his decision-making. Uh, you know, normally it's just run to the end line and smash a ball low and hard to try and create some chaos. But he's having to actually, you know, try to take on guys rather than than just uh, just use his speed, which just uh, didn't work so well. So, you know, for, for FC Dallas, it was kind of a a good uh, opportunity, I guess, to uh, to have a full rebuild of the wings, uh, which you know, hasn't happened really since uh, Barrios came in in 2014, maybe 2015, whenever it was. Uh, and in Casti uh, with Fabian Castillo leaving the, the following season, there's kind of been a an imbalance on that side. So just, uh, you know, it's it gives uh, Luchi Gonzalez a chance to kind of maybe put his stamp on on the wings there. Uh, following him, uh you know, Fafa, likewise, Fafa Pipco, uh, Santiago Mosquera leaving. Um, I think in terms of the departures, the the big one for me, maybe the one that got away, is going to be Callum Montgomery. Uh, you know, he'd been online at San Antonio, looked really promising. I think he's an MLS level uh, starter uh, at centre-back. His real downfall with FC Dallas was the uh, the quote unquote Lucci ball, as we like to call it, a kind of you know a very possession heavy. Uh, I guess what you you could kind of compare it to uh, a mishmash of Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola style, kind of the Pep's possession right. with Jurgen's press, uh, which you know can sometimes fall apart, but. It all starts from the back. So the keeper's got to have good feet. The centre-backs have got to have good feet. And, and Callum Montgomery's passing has come on a long way. His decision-making has come on a long way. But what we saw a lot, especially with uh, North Texas SC the season before, was he could panic and just kind of hoof the ball out of play or just accidentally chip it to the opposing team's 10, uh, which, you know, in, in MLS, when you've uh, got guys like Vieri and... and uh, sorry, Pierre, uh, Valeri and Rossi, not the sort of guys you want to kind of give a free <laughs> pass to, you know? Right. Uh, 
you know, similarly, I kind of didn't even think about it really until today, but uh, Cal Jennings was a, a loanee brought in at the start of last season. Um, you know, absolutely spectacular for University of Central Florida. Looked like a nailed-on guy to get a contract. I remember speaking to him first uh, practice last season, and he wasn't talking about the possibility of winning a contract. He was talking about way beyond that, like it was a foregone conclusion. And um, I don't know if it was somewhere between attitude and just his uh, defensive hustle, but he didn't didn't win that contract. And just today, uh, LAFC traded for his MLS rights and signed him up after scoring nine goals in 14 appearances in USL last season. So, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully Dallas fans won't be looking at him in five years time and saying he was the one that got away, but you never know. Right, we just did a preview with Minnesota, and they were talking about Cal Montgomery and being like, "Okay, I think they're, you know, they're looking at him as somebody that could step into like a center back role that could play, you know." And they were excited about him coming in with some development, maybe stepping into one of those roles. That's kind of a hole there. So, yeah, I, I definitely would be excited. I, I still can't wrap my head around that one, honestly. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm glad they got something for him after initially uh, declining the option, but. I think FC Dallas in some ways ties a little bit too much to the idea of a two-year cycle for new guys. Um, even with the development team, they just did the same and cleared, I think, 14 guys off the roster to, to completely rebuild. Wow. Now, you mentioned that 2010 MLS Cup uh, final where back in the day when two West teams could both be in a final against each other um joining the western conference this year though is austin fc uh what is the vibe down in dallas about you know another texas team uh and do they you know dallas and houston have had some attendance problems and it looks like austin might uh blow them out of the water in that regard but uh, do you get a general vibe in, in in dallas about this rivalry potentially no, no. Um, I can honestly say I've not heard a single person that even cares that they exist. They're just kind of another team. Um, I mean, I personally don't like the way that Anthony Precourt went about trying to get right. the team. Um, but yeah, it's just uh, just another team. I've, I've definitely heard some people say, uh, you know, they're looking forward to an away trip that's only three hours away as opposed to the you know, Houston being four or uh, Colorado being 12 would be the next closest one. Um, but, you know, it's a team that's got traditional rivals, uh, whether it's Chicago, Colorado, right. KC. Um, and, you know, Houston's always going to be the rival. Uh, it's not a case of FC Dallas and Houston Dynamo. It's the cities of Dallas and Houston are just rivals in everything they do. And um, honestly, unless you're talking about street tacos and then it's uh, san antonio's rivalry with austin it's not really uh yeah i, I I'm, I'm you know hopefully mls doesn't try to manufacture a rivalry it. as it has done yeah. with you know orlando and pretty much every team in the east um <laughs> but yeah we'll see um probably just going to be the noisy neighbors at this point I was going to say it'll be interesting because they, you know, talking about the schedule, they're going to start, uh, which I think it's possibility that they start those region games where they're playing within region mm -hmm. might actually be beneficial to have Austin as they're trying to get their foot, uh, you know, their footing in the league. I think it, it might be beneficial to have them sitting in Texas with them and competing with them uh, just as they're trying to figure out the league itself. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it kind of, uh, you know, obviously you can go a couple of ways about it. You can kind of have the, I guess Minnesota way where everything kind of just builds up nicely um, and the crowds keep coming or you could kind of have that, that New York city start where you're wondering <laughs> right. where 15,000 people disappeared to uh, after two years. Uh, I mean, if, if FC Dallas could uh, wonder where 15,000 people were in the beginning, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. I saw a lot of jokes about, you know, with the capacity limits mm. and stuff that, you know, it's not going to matter to Houston and Dallas anyway. Uh, oh, no. I mean, uh, <laughs> honestly, uh, you know, FC Dallas was the first uh, American professional sports team to bring a crowd back. 
And initially they were like, yeah, we're going to release 5,000 tickets. And then they couldn't sell 5,000 tickets. So they said, just to be extra safe, we're going to add more distance. So only 3,000 will be available. And then they couldn't sell 3,000. So only 2,000 people turned up. That's great. Um, Logan, you want to take the next one? Yeah. So you alluded to the academy and selling off, I think you said 14 or at least 14 players that were youth. Um, Why has that academy been so successful why has their relationship with usl been so successful bringing in some of these players and then selling them off to european clubs like these some of these right backs like chris richard you know reggie cannon um guys like that how, how come they're so successful um i think a lot of it is just the idea of being a, a top to bottom club there's uh you know for a full integration uh particularly having like the you know we've got generation adidas here in the dallas cup and we get to see a little more of different academies and not everyone really resembles maybe the the jersey they're playing in um and fc dallas is very much committed playing the same style from the mls club to say the under 14 girls um every age group will go to practices they'll spend time watching the teams uh some of the older age groups uh you know you'll get like kids from the under 16s will get invited to north texas sc and and um fc dallas 14 practices so like right now there's a kid knight pickering who i think is 16 antonio carrera goalkeeper he's he's training with the first team right now he's 16 um you know, they, they try and get players used to the first team start uh, well, way of doing things, kind of in, immerse them in that professional environment. Um, the same way, like, you know, a, a Reggie Cannon was training with the first team when he was 14 years old. So was Brian Reynolds. And these are the guys that, you know, when they're sort of 18, they're suddenly seasoned veterans at that point. Um Beyond that, I remember, you know, you go to practice and try and catch up with, firstly, with Oscar Pereira and, and even now, or even more recently, with Luchi Gonzalez. And the media availability would be times when they're walking around every other team's uh, training sessions and talking right. to coaches and bumping, you know, and kind of giving ideas to them. There's just, uh, it, you know, everything's just, just full immersion, um, you know, the coaches of every age group will help out with first team training and vice versa. So I think it's just a, you know, it's kind of like that production line in every sense, um, which, you know, I, th- I think especially that first season of USL league one, uh, North Texas SC takes really the bulk of the team was the Academy when the Academy were away with uh, generation Adidas and things like that. Uh, that was the kind of wobbly spell for North Texas SC. But, you know, and conversely, you had teams like Toronto and Orlando City's B team who they were entirely different clubs. They just played in the same jersey. The players didn't go up and down. It was it was weird. They just signed sort of 20 guys to, to contracts just to kind of play and, and not really develop. So, you know, I think really it's when you see that in... You know, you see it a little bit in Colorado and in uh, New York and uh, Philadelphia of of that kind of, you know, it is one club that that's when you start to see it thrive. Yeah, I'm a Philadelphia fan, too. So that that works out for me. It's been finally bearing some fruit. (laughs) Definitely. I mean, it's it's kind of funny speaking to uh, Khalil El-Makad the other day. yeah, you know, I was like, you know, it's kind of weird. Like, you know, if if there's, you know, if, if there's two real high-profile academies that are a direct shop window to Europe, it's it's Dallas and Philadelphia right now. Uh, so you know, kind of like, how's it been going from one to the other? And he was like, you know, it's, it's kind of seamless. It's you know, it's it's a pretty similar vibe. It's just maybe some different ideologies, but. Uh, the the professionalism it's not like stepping into any great unknown right um and you just mentioned him khalil aldmikar uh signing uh to dallas uh from getting the homegrown rights from the union 
mm-hmm. and uh, also signing a few other attacking players uh, and losing players like Fafa Pico. We mentioned uh, Barrios earlier. What is it that uh, do you think the attack is in good shape after kind of a lackluster season last year, goal wise, or or are we still waiting for Dallas to make some some signings? Um, it's going to be interesting. Uh, that's probably the best way to put it. Um, <laughs> you know, you've got uh, Hadera Bryan, uh, who you know the the world's first Irish Colombian um, was Michael Barrios's successor uh i'm gonna butcher it but uh uni autonoma in colombia uh signed him and then immediately uh you know sold off uh barrios uh here's a kid who was the i think he was a goal away from being top scorer in the colombian league last year playing as a right winger um if that translates to mls fantastic uh i know michael barrios took a year or so to kind of adjust so We'll, we'll see on that side uh, on the left wing you know I mentioned before it hasn't really been settled since Fabian Castillo left in 2016 you've had a lot of filler pieces that maybe haven't stylistically worked uh, opposite mm-hmm. Barrios um, we're going to have really a, a, what could be a three-way battle we've got uh, Freddie Vargas who was brought in who's um, you know 21 year old I think he's kind of highly thought of, but maybe one for the future. You've got uh, Khalil's got a, a chance of getting in there. Um, and even uh, Paxton Pomacol, um, there's a good chance that he gets pushed out to the left wing because the the midfield at Dallas is is kind of stacked. And that, that may not be his best position, but it's one in the offseason he's talked up the idea of playing because to him it's a lot of fun getting out there and just finding new paths through players. So... Um, you know, how that feeds, you know, we'll wait to see. Uh, does Franco O'Hara actually want to play this season? Does he want to kind of be the the 32-year-old just collecting a paycheck and and then retire? I don't know. It's, uh, it's kind of going to be the – that's going to be the difference between FC Dallas potentially getting a home playoff game and not play, making the playoffs, period. Yeah, and you yeah. so watching Jesus Ferreira play uh, against Trinidad and Tobago, obviously not somebody that's going you're gonna look at and go, okay, that, that he's back, he's he's done what he needs to do to prove that he's gonna be informed this year. And you mix him, you you mentioned uh, Pomichol, who's 21, Jesus Ferreira's 20. Uh, I know that uh, a couple of people had written about if they can just get back to those 2018, 2019, um, you know that that mm-hmm. kind of ceiling that they would have, it could be a very dangerous attacking side, but again, they haven't, they haven't shown that they can done, they could do that. So cautiously optimistic seems to be the trend, the theme when you read about these two, how high is their ceiling uh, when you're, you know, as a fan base, how, what, you know, what are they expecting from them? Um, in the short term, it's kind of a bit difficult. Um, Jesus Ferreira's biggest obstacle is his position. Um, with the national team, he's played as a, you know, as a straight-up nine, and he has succeeded really well. When he had a great 2019 season, it was as a nine. Um, I think part of the problem is that Lucha Gonzalez sees him as more of a tweener, kind of not quite a, a 10, but sort of playing off the nine. Um, and the reason he always says it is because um it is that he can make line break and runs out the midfield that he, that Lucci feels no one else can uh which is especially effective when you're missing uh Paxton's range of passing so he's been given the number nine jersey this season hopefully that is a sign of things to come hopefully he can be uh you know the guy that everyone was raving about since the time he was sort of like 12 13 um Paxton, a little bit different. It's uh, more of a health thing. Uh, he just had a significant hip procedure, um, which, I mean, he's likened it to an ACL recovery. So if you think of something like an ACL or an Achilles, uh, you know, that first year back is it's kind of a write-off. You don't see the real player until year two. So 
he's talking about he should be fit to start competing in April. Um, you know, uh, there is in terms of his range of passing is kind of eye for a pass. I would definitely say a, a kind of half fit Paxton can do a job. Uh, so I'd definitely be happy to see him back. But, uh, you know, it, every year it's been a series of hernias, hamstrings, something. Uh, you'd go out to practice and, it, you know, he kind of hobbles over grimacing after a game. Same same deal, uh, you know, after spending like half an hour in an ice bath. And uh, he needs to get fit. Um, his personal goal is to win an MLS MVP and then go off to to Europe, um, you know, eventually. That's kind of going to be the difference, really. His health is going to be the difference between doing that and and being the the guy on the bench that comes on for the last 20 minutes that you just wish you could get an hour, 75 minutes out of when he's, you know, 29 years old. I was going to say, I, I, rem- I watch videos of him and I just forget because he hasn't been out there that just how good his passing is, like his abilities to just kind of control that midfield and get passes in between. I mean, it, watching him, he doesn't look like a 20-year-old or, you know, 19-year-old when he was um, pretty successful. It, he, he looks like he's got a high ceiling, but like you said, it, it's too bad that he just can't get into form or any kind of fitness. Yeah, there's a, there's a little bit of a debate going on actually. Uh, even now, he's you know he's been uh, not able to maybe do so many so much uh, aerobic exercise. So he's been supposedly working on his upper body strength. So there is a trend of is Paxton fat or is he just getting strong? <laughs> uh, what is it, Byron over there that's pumping uh, lead into some of those guys when they <laughs> change over to Byron? They're like, oh man, maybe Paxton just needs to go back over there, see what's going on. Maybe, maybe we'll get some uh, some of those uh, Bavarian steroids or something. <laughs> in. They'll all look like Goretzka. Uh, <laughs> scary. Uh, um, so you, you mentioned about uh, uh, you know Jesus Fiera uh, getting the number nine uh, jersey, and uh, just talking about the forward spot. Uh, you also have the designated player Jara, uh, who scored uh, looks like seven goals in his. 19 appearances um do you have a particular idea of which one they would lean towards like actually starting games more or are they going to try to fit um his uh like fiera more on like a, a wing at times or is he just going to be the the forward itself uh i would imagine more often than not he's going to be the uh the nine off the bench uh i will be totally honest i would have been very happy if uh, fc dallas paid off uh, frank o'hara's contract and just let him do his thing uh you know all he's doing at this point is taking minutes off jesus ferrer and ricardo pepe behind him um right for um, unfortunately uh what a lot of his stems from is in the 2017 season, um, FC Dallas had a, a really, really good uh, contest over two legs in the semi-final with uh, Pachuca on their way to uh, winning Champions League. And Frank O'Hara kind of did a number on FC Dallas. So Dan Hunt, um, president, fell in love with that 28-year-old Argentine striker. And it was his uh, kind of it's his life's work to finally get him. Unfortunately, he's got him four years later and significantly slower. Right. So uh, you know what you see with Hara is a lot of what you like to do with Pachuca drop back, kind of sit out wide and try and get the ball. But now he just has, doesn't really have the legs to do it, particularly against you know some of these uh, some of these uh, pacey fullbacks in MLS. He just you know. You can see the intelligence, you can see the touch, but just the athleticism, it just is, doesn't exist. Um, you know, hopefully it was just an adjustment period um, because he definitely showed him flashes. You mentioned seven goals. I think five of those came in the span of like six games. Granted, a couple of those were penalties, but um, he is the high nine that the FC, in theory, that FC Dallas wanted, a guy that can actually get in the box and and poke the ball home, but um, yeah, it's 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 going to be very interesting to see which version of Frank O'Hara and 
and, and how Jesus and, and even Pepe uh, fit around him. Yeah, so creating chances, it was it something that was difficult last year for them or was it more of just finishing the goals when you're looking at FC Dallas? Uh, FC Dallas uh, definitely has a problem with putting the ball in the box. Um, that, that was kind of part of, I guess, what uh, necessitated the rebuild on the wings. Uh, was just kind of losing that effectiveness from out wide where, you know, you would ordinarily have like a, a Barrios or someone pop up and be able to, to feed the ball in. Um, you know, a lot of what they were reliant on in the second half of the season was the fact that Brian Reynolds' uh, crossing is phenomenal. Uh, you know, he's kind of the one guy on the team that uh, he will see the guy at the back post and he will put the ball on his head to go, you know, the player has to do nothing. Um, unfortunately, a lot of uh, the, the vast majority of the crossing FC Dallas is of the mantra of hit it low, hit it hard, try and get a rebound, try and force an own goal, try and force a corner, just create some kind of chaos, which, you know, when you're dealing with professional you know you're dealing with with other professionals they are a lot more organized than your, your sunday league player that that will always work against <laughs> um yeah it's just um you know hopefully looking forward uh you've got uh you know potentially you've got pax and pomica coming up uh tanner testman can uh place a, a 60 yard ball on a dime you've got um Andres Ricciotti. Uh yeah. Um, he started out brilliantly. Um, he has a habit. Um, so uh, on a little bit of background, FC Dallas doesn't play with a true 10. It plays with what Lucci likes to call a free eight, uh, which effectively means it's a 10 that plays a little tiny bit deeper and actually defends, um, which is perfect. That's what Ricciotti's background is. He was more of an eight that kind of pushed up as a 10. So he's kind of been that free eight and then he became kind of more the box to box guy. He's kind of just regressed back as, as the half season went on. So, um, you know, if he's not trying to link play from the back, uh, he could be that, that guy that's, that's kind of linking up to the attack. But unfortunately there's always that one line missing, whether it's the link between defense and midfield or the, the link between midfield and attack. So, uh, you know, we'll see really whether all these additions and departures kind of change that. But, you know, it, it may be down to philosophy. It may be, uh, you know, tweaking what Lucci ball is. Uh, so you mentioned mentioned uh, Tanner Tessman there as well, but there's also Tiago Santos uh, in the midfield. Um, what uh, do you see? Uh, what was your thoughts on Tiago Santos's first year uh, at FC Dallas and, uh, where do you see Tanner Tessman getting the minutes this season? Um, I, I honestly think uh, Tiago Santos has been one of the best signings they've made in in years. Uh, if soccer had like the three stars of hockey, uh, he's your number two or three guy every week without fail. Um, you know, his signing really did open up, uh, particularly after losing Carlos Gray. So the ability to play with a, a single six, um, rather than the the double pivot that that they kind of did rely on with with no one that can kind of hold that defensive role on their own um he's also that that horrible guy that will kick the ever-loving crap out of the opposition <laughs> uh which fc dallas is a young team it's a soft team it kind of needs that guy um so his only his real drawback is you know he's a 30 plus guy uh, particularly when it came to the playing twice a week he can't do that um you know he might give you one good game and 30 good minutes uh, out of that that two game week so you know having the, the stretched out um schedule might be nice um you've also got uh brian acosta uh playing as more of the the box to box say he can kind of come back on those defensive responsibilities too uh, as, as you mentioned, Tanner Tessman also can slot in there. He's in the academy. I think he's played six, eight, 10, seven, 11, nine, <laughs> in, uh, oh, and, uh, and center back. So, yeah, he's kind of the, uh, 
I mean, he he is the the prototype uh, prototypical argument of what if soccer got America's best athletes um, as a you know eighteen year old who's uh, six foot three and you know as as wide as a house. Um, you know, it should be uh, you know the the midfield in FCRs is is very it, it's a logjam, unfortunately. Uh, you've got um, I mentioned Acosta. Acosta's really underperformed as a as a designated player uh, since arriving from Spain a couple of years ago. Uh, you know, you you really sh- you really could uh, put a case out for Brandon Sylvania playing ahead of him for uh, for Tana Tasman for Paxton Pomacal, really. Um, you know, potentially even Edwin Cerillo. So you know, uh, four home grounds right there, but. You know, a lot of it's going to come down to uh, experience, and and he does get the nod quite often because of that. Yeah, it, it uh, and it was. I think it was it the U.S. game when he was playing. Uh, Tanner Tesman dropped back, and he was playing. I think they had him at left back at some point. If, if I my memory serves me correctly, for some reason I thought that that's where he might have ended up. And they're like, I didn't know he even played back there, but he did. <laughs> I was like, yeah. it's hard to. He'll just kind of do whatever you ask him to. He's uh, you know, kind of one of those just complete players. So kind of just transitioning back in that defense, the, the second best defense when you're talking about goals allowed, 24 goals in 22 matches. What worked well for them last year in that back line? Uh, Matt Hedges. Uh, yeah, I think they can see the 16 goals in the 19 he played. Um, you know, he's coming on his 10th season. The guy is I mean, he's surpassing Jason Christ as the uh, the team's greatest ever player. Uh, he holds all the the, the appearance records already. Um, he's just been a, a phenomenal player, phenomenal servant. Great passing out the back, uh, defensively great. Uh, you know, defensively, just he knows where to put himself. And uh, you know, he's still, you know, he's just turned thirty. He has the athleticism to really make up for other players' mistakes at times. Um, Reto Ziegler uh, last year turning 34. Uh, again, you know, a guy was a former Premier League centre back, played in two World Cups, kind of knew everything, knew, you know, what he didn't know wasn't worth knowing, but he'd kind of lost a step. So Hedges had to step in a lot there. And then um, Brisson coming in as the, uh, as the kind of what was supposed to be the replacement, you know, a guy who's won Copa Libertadores. And then giving away a penalty to blow the second final consecutive final, but you know, um, you know, again, kind of more of the slower players. So this season, uh, they're they're going to go with uh, Jose Antonio Martinez, who you know, a guy that's played at uh, at the development teams for Sevilla and and Barcelona. So a guy who you know he can pass with the best of them, and by the looks of it, very athletic player to try and fill that hole. Uh, but yeah, talking last season, just uh, really, FCLs had to had three guys they could really rely on throughout the season. Jimmy Mauer could uh, could stand on his head. Uh, Matt Hedges, you know, anything he he does, it just kind of turns out. And then Ryan Hollins had not a fantastic, uh, you know, pure defender, you know, a, a, a winger convert to left back, but. A guy who, if you want him to play right back, he'll play right back. If you want to play centre back, he'll play centre back. Albeit not greatly, but he'll always do a job and kind of uh, at least slow down the defence so that someone else can get back and um, you know fr- maybe free up the space so that uh, Santos can come back from the six or something like that and kind of just uh, you know a lot a lot of team play. Yeah, so you mentioned Hollingshead and a couple of depth charts I had read, they had him in both sides where he could play both if they really wanted to. But then again, you've got Eddie Monjoma. You know, how does that fit in? I mean, is Hollingshead really an option at both? Um, I mean, he he is. Um, he is a right-sided player, naturally. Um, he does have a problem when you switch him around because, honestly, um, you know, the tendencies. Uh you know, depending on which shoulder to play off, which way to take the ball, which way you're really looking. And, and he's kind of, you know, he's, he's brutally honest about that, that um, if you play him at left back one game, right back the next, he's not going to be great. If you give him three games at one, three games at the other, he'll be just fine. Um, I think they're going to stick him at, they're going to stick with him at left back. Um, 
rather than uh, use Johnny Nelson. Um, really, just for the reason Johnny Nelson's a fantastic defender, but he is a de- defender. Defender. He is not a guy. Although he's he's definitely working on it and getting better. He's not a guy that gets up the field and. You know, Lucci's style is is probably more dependent on the fullbacks getting forward than the wingers at this point. Um, you know, they are kind of the links in play. So, you know, I'd expect Ryan Hollinshead. Uh, Eddie Manjoma is definitely a choice. I would actually pick uh, Ima Tumasi, who is a right winger to play right back. Um you know, where Reggie Cannon's sale was in the works for about a year and a half, and they knew that Reynolds would follow soon after, uh, they, they were really trying to pull up the successor in 2019. So uh, Tumasi started playing a little bit of right back. Uh, you know, they put they sent him out on loan to Austin Bold with the intention of playing him at right back. Uh, you know, Austin's needs didn't necessarily match that, so he played a lot of right wing forward. Um, but but he's a guy that has definitely he's had a year and a half to to kind of pick things up and and learn the right back role and the defensive responsibilities and you know I, I'd probably pick him as your opening day starter with maybe uh, Manjoma winning the job through the season. All right, and our usual last question here is just uh, what would be a successful season for FC Dallas this year? Oh, um, not last in the attendance standings. No <laughs> <laughs> more um, snow. That that would definitely help too. Uh, eight inches of snow and we all come to a halt. Um, I think really the goal is going to be the same as it was last year. Uh, try and get a, play- a home playoff. Um, you know, winning on the road in, in Portland was kind of an enormous hurdle. Um to, to overcome Dallas has a terrible record in against any of the Cascadia teams away from home um, but you know they always base things off of regular season with the targets and it's kind of a crapshoot from there um, you know the only problem is like we mentioned does the uh, offensive rebuild pay off um, if yes, maybe that's fourth place. If no, maybe it's eighth uh, or ninth, uh, depending on how the players work this year. Um, for me, the only the big obstacle is you know you know LAFC is going to be up there. You know Seattle's going to be up there. You know Portland's going to be up there. Minnesota are good. Colorado's good. SKC is good. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just you know outside Set. of yeah yeah fourth to eighth is. I mean, you could you know, draw straws for really in, in terms of predicting it. So it, the, that's kind of the next step is is for FC Dallas to pick it up on the road, uh, become a bit more, you know, they've had a, a fantastic home record for years. That's always been the backbone of things. Um, but they've never really been a great traveling team. So pick it up on the road, try and uh, turn some losses into draws and, and, really claw their way up to to get in that first home playoff game uh since i mean i don't even know when uh, i wouldn't count the uh the play-in game against portland a couple of years ago that's for sure but uh, you know they just you know other than outside of 2015 2016 just particularly with this new format uh you know they need to have home advantage going into the playoffs against somebody right Interesting. Well, yeah. Uh, if you wanted to, uh, I guess, plug your plug your places one more time here and, and thank you for coming on. Yeah, if you want to hear some uh, some inane ramblings, uh, we're pretty uh, fabulous <laughs> at that. At Third Degree, again, you know, just all uh, everything in North Texas uh, soccer related. So, uh, you know, from MPSL, uh, all the academy stuff. Again, if you want to see who's going to go to Juventus for $20 million next. We can tell you the 12 year old that's going to be here. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, you know, um, hopefully we're uh, putting some good content out with the uh, preseason and everything. Uh, it would be great for us to be able to get back to practice, but you know, everybody in the nation is, is unfortunately dealing with those same things. So uh, be kind to us all. <laughs> 
All right. Thanks, Dan, for coming on. And uh, we hope to have you on maybe sometime during the season and catch up with you. No, thanks. This was a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for reaching out, guys. Uh, it's, a, it's a great listen always. Thanks. And that was Dan Crook from Third Degree Net and formerly with MLSsoccer.com. Uh, he said pre-pandemic, so I assume right now that's on hold. But uh, hopefully he gets back on there at some point. But uh, Logan, I'm going to start with what I am ex- what what surprised me, not Let's really excited me, but what surprised me. Let's do it. I thought that Reggie Cannon's replacement would be Brian Reynolds, and that Reynolds would be there a little longer than he was right was just a few months playing starting but he mentioned that they already knew that he was going to be going quite early that even two years ago or so they were looking at who's going to replace brian reynolds and for me what just surprised me was the forethought of of that you know um i didn't really know who brian reynolds was that much even as somebody that pays attention to the league you know uh, I knew who Reggie Cannon was, obviously, but then to know that they were even negotiating, you know, like th- that the FC Dallas themselves knew that at some point soon after Reggie Cannon left, Brian Reynolds would leave and that they had already had their player on loan to Austin trying to play right back to prepare for this eventuality. For me, it was just kind of mind blowing that the, the forethought of that, because, uh, you know, we've never spoken with anybody inside of a youth structure or anything. So obviously there has to be these forethoughts, but it's just funny to kind of see it come to fruition. Uh, Cause sometimes these players don't pan out, you know? Um, so that I found that very interesting, but uh, you know, when he was listing off the teams in the West and thinking that Dallas needs a home game, I don't see where they get it uh, because what that's top four, right? Yeah. Uh, it changes every year. So I guess, but <laughs> I think it's top four. And like he was mentioning the teams and we've been covering these teams. This we're down to like the last three of the West right now. Right. So we got two more of the West left and we have teams like LAFC Seattle, who we haven't gotten to yet. Portland, SKC, Minnesota, I think we're pretty high on those teams. So that's five. I just don't see how they get ahead of that. I mean, they did beat Portland as a shock in the uh, MLS cup, you know, like in the playoffs in penalties, but, and, and they only lost by one to Seattle, but Portland, you know, we, as we covered last week or whenever we released the episode Monday, I guess it was, when we when we talked about Portland, they had a lot of injuries that that missed near the end of the season. That I think they would have went deeper had that not happened. So I don't think that they'll reach that target that that Dan set. Um, and he seemed kind of like you know that it's you know like he said it's kind of just pretty much picking straws at that point to see who gets in the top. Uh, who gets anywhere in the playoffs from four to eight, but you know, I don't think they'll have the home playoff game because I think the top half of this Western conference is, is stronger than the, you know, like the other eight. So, or the other four of the eight, if that makes sense. No, it does. And, you know, going through and doing my due diligence on all these teams, I read so much and I get so many different perspectives. Obviously I listen to, um, third degree net and I you know go through and read some of the SB Nation that they do um, for Dallas and I read MLS and then I listen to some of the things that you know extra time pod and them do and when you're looking at this team the, the biggest thing for me is that a team that is wanting to compete for one of those top four spots is going to get you know their goals they're going to create their chances they're going to not go through these spells where their defense is just so dominant that they can make up for the the zero goals or the one goal or, you know, that's just not sustainable. And I don't think, uh, you know, I don't think they've done enough. I think, yes, they did hit a reset, but I'm not sure the reset is any, 
it'll be interesting to see how well the reset works because I think some of the players they brought in, while interesting, I, you know, I, I've always got a concern about how that translate and that translates into MLS, right? You, you look at the different attacking players that they brought in. You're talking about O'Brien, you're talking El Medicare, um, Vargas, like he said, it's tough to get a gauge. Give me a couple of weeks and see how that is. But I don't see where that's where they've gotten exponentially better. You know what I mean? I think it's slightly progressive, but I don't think it's anything that you're going to write home about for a team that scored what? 24 goals. Um, it just 28 goals gave up 24, 20. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Mixed them That's up. Right. But again, a dominant defense. And I think it got better with Jose Antonio. Um, but I don't know. Again, where do you go? Uh, Jesus Ferreira. Can you really count on him? I mean, do you think, uh, Jordan, do you think that it's some, like, he's somebody you can count on and he doesn't seem like somebody that fits that system at all. At all. And Lucci's not, Lucci's still there. Uh... <laughs> there's a cat behind me. Sorry. We're on video. There's a cat. <laughs> I can hear the cat the whole oh, time. So Which one is that? Is that that's Wrigley Hazel. or is that's Hazel? Hazel? Okay. Yeah, she is a Hi, uh, Hazel. Orlando City fan. So yeah, no, yeah, the cat so she's jumping. jumping. Well, she's looking at the stateside logo. <laughs> the, the, the joys of the joys of Zoom podcasting, right? Um, Jesus I, I don't know. I, I'm a big Jesus Fiera fan. Me okay? too. I want him to do well. Obviously. So I'm going to hold out hope. Okay. Makes sense. Uh, my worry is with like El Medker and stuff is like Khalil. The union gave up his homegrown rights. I don't know if that's like a player thing forcing that or with the way that the union academy is so good. I don't think they would just do that if say, it's somebody really team. promising. So I'm not really sure. But Dallas also has a strong academy that I'm not sure they would just go out and get somebody that's not. So I'm thrown off by that. So we'll see yeah. how that plays out uh, over the course of the season. But they did like, like O'Brien. I watched highlights. He does have really good pace. He does have the ability to get inside the box. My biggest concern with him, I think, is does it translate to him getting past some of these defenders? Um, obviously, it's not a great defensive league, but I, I just wasn't impressed enough with him. I honestly think that their best prospect is Tanner Testman. Like, I think that the, mm-hmm. he's somebody, and again, we might be talking about this next year where he plays well this year and he's one. He's that, gone. Yeah, yeah. He goes over to Schalke or somebody that's in Germany. Please don't send him to Schalke. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> he could a lot of time though. But again, like he said, he's so versatile. I mean, the kid can play everywhere and he was dropping dimes on, if you've watched the end of that mm-hmm. Trinidad Tobago when he comes yeah. on. And, and again, we've talked about this a lot of the times with the U.S. Men's National Team. We need players. I'm not saying all these great athletes are going to drop their sport. Football and basketball aren't going away. Football's kind of going away because concussion issues, but it's going to be, still be there. It's too much of a moneymaker. But you've got Tanner Tessman, whose uncle or godfather is Dabo Sweeney at Clemson. That's the best football program in the United States. Hmm. And he chose soccer, right? <laughs> yeah, debatable, right? <laughs> Maybe Alabama. I forgot about Bama. Um, yeah. Sorry, Bama people. Them. I don't think we have a Bama MLS team, so that's good. Um, <laughs> coming, at least. Um, no, but what wasn't it? Uh, Dan from Dan, the SKC. Yeah, Dan, I'm so sorry. <laughs> no other pod. Yeah, he's right. an Alabama fan. But again, like I said, I think Tanner Testman, if I'm looking at the FC Dallas side, I got to think he's probably the most promising, right? Yeah. Well, here's my worry with Dallas. Um for some reason, it seems like the Hunts are content with being a, I don't want to say feeder club, but it's no, they like are. what they, they are. are. It worked in article? the past. It worked in the past. Oscar Perea mm-hmm. had this team mm-hmm. near the top of MLS consistently. Right. Supporter Shields, um, challenging for Supporter Shields, challenging for the Cup, uh, even before Perea, the 2010 uh Dallas team that made that play uh, the the cup that we talked about against the Rapids we talked about that on the Rapids podcast and we also talked about it um, on this one uh, about Dallas but for me it's all well and good if you're going to send off some of these players and, and convert these but at what point is it just making money right I can understand being a feeder club for some of these like like if you're Southampton, right? Because you're not going to realistically win trophies typically. So you, you go as far as you can with them. You sell them. 
and you make an investment and you're making money back. And that's what you're doing here, but there's a chance for you to actually win the MLS cup here. There's chances uh, to go on trophy runs. Um, but like Brian Reynolds was, was their right back for like three months, right? Reggie Cannon left in the summer and then Reynolds followed like right at the end of the season. So yeah, you got money for him. It's great. He's, he's going overseas. That's a good mark on the Academy, but, and it's going to ultimately help grow maybe soccer in, in, in Texas, I guess. I don't really know. But uh, you ultimately want to win cups as well at some point. And to be an original 1996 team, they were from 96, right? They're not 98. That's fire, right? Yeah, Dallas, I think they're 96. It's in, is it in their logo? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Let I me think just it's 96 because I think I was just looking at that too. Uh, the Hunts, 95, so he, like founded 95. So that must yeah, be. Yeah, yeah, so 96. 96 it's in their logo, is, right? Yeah. That's just what I thought. Yeah. Yeah, I was. Com- I just want to make sure it didn't say ninety-eight. Like, <laughs> right. Fired ninety-eight. Kind of like that little sneaky leg in. And they've won no MLS Cup, right? So th- th- they're the equivalent to the Revolution right now. They have won a Supporter Shield though. They've been runners up to the Supporter Shield twice. They've won two Open Cups. They've won an. Uh, they were runners up in the MLS Cup. But at some point, you have to win trophies and not just be shipping players overseas too so if i look at it in an american sense u.s men's national team they're doing great with their assembly line right but if i'm an fc dallas fan that doesn't matter to me right which is why you want to win you want to win the the trophy at the end of the year what are you saying logan I think that's why when you, you're trying to sell 5,000 seats and there's, you know, 2,000 to be had because you become a team that is, and I wouldn't say that they're like real small market. They're not like your, like Kansas City is smaller than they are. Uh, Minnesota is smaller than they are. Dallas is a big city. Um, and the fact that, and actually, Jordan, I read an article too that I think the Hunts, or it was either the Hunts or Lucci, that were quoted saying, do you think that you can be successful being a selling team? And they actually said that, yes, I do think it's possible. Look at blah, blah, blah. And they were listing off instances and throughout soccer, but I don't, this is different. This isn't like your, you know, this isn't like, like what you said, the the fact that you thought Reggie Cannon was going to be, uh, or sorry, Brian Reynolds was going to be that replacement for, but he sold off in two months. At least like, a year. Yeah. <laughs> it's right. like two or three months later. <laughs> I think it's more about return on investment because again, they're, they're not getting money in the stands. They're not, you know, they don't have the big following that uh, some of these other, you know, galaxy selling out their kit, um, you know, big cities like that, just making money off of everything. Dallas is making money off their players and that's what you're seeing. And I think that's why fans are just not going to be interested in that team because one minute they're there, one minute they're gone. It's like as a Baltimore Oriole fan, it'd be like if we were focusing on our youth <laughs> players yeah. just to sell yeah. them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm invested in the Orioles farm system because I want them to help us win. <laughs> not just, uh, selling them on to the next day, not even like trading them in baseball where you get prospects. Also, it is literally just selling for money. And if you put that money in the wrong thing, it's gone. Like, so I'm a big fan of Dallas's, uh, you know, farm, you know, their, their, uh, their youth teams, their, their academies, but at some point it has got to translate into holding these players long enough for a year or two run before selling them off um, is what I think. And uh, I guess that's where we'll stop for it. I don't want to make it seem like I'm going in on them, but I, I no. do think at some point they do have to, they do have to win. Yeah. And, and I think with these signings, I think they're, they're getting a little bit better, but not drastically enough to where they're going to make a push towards those top four. I mean, the fact is, I mean, we just heard Dan say about 
Jara, right? That uh, he wouldn't mind them just buying out his contract. Yeah, right. He's a DP that just came in this year. Right. So again, that's I don't know nine. how well. Yeah, I don't know how. I don't know how well that's going. You know, other, bringing in these players. Other teams are like scouring the streets for number nines. This team's got one, and they're like, eh, I don't really like that one. <laughs> well, this team seems fine by it, but yeah, I don't think the uh, right. Don't think the fans. It's not as good signing as like they don't, they need like a Reynoso type figure or a Vela, you know, where they just are game changing. If if Minnesota wins an MLS Cup before Dallas, that is a blight on Dallas, I will say. Because Minnesota took a few years to get going. They don't even really have a youth academy, but they've brought in somebody like Reynoso. They've built up this squad. And if they're going to consistently be better than Dallas at this point, then that is just mind boggling because I started following this league like the year before Dallas was in a final. And then I watched Perea's Dallas team and it seemed like they were on the verge that uh, to see them kind of regress a bit, but also be churning out all these people makes it kind of like a, a blight on their competitive side. Yeah, they come good. So let's wrap it up. Yeah, let's wrap it up. Uh, we are on Stateside Show on Twitter at Stateside Show, Instagram at Stateside Show, Facebook.com slash Stateside Show. Email us at, you guessed it, Stateside Show at gmail.com. We will have the YouTube page up at some, you know, with video at some point. This might be a test pilot. We'll, we'll see. I, you know, we've been, as we just said, video recording, then I might be using this as test footage for editing and such. But that's going to be in the link tree as well um not yet i haven't put it in there yet I, I probably should though but that's you know the link tree links in the show notes if you wanted to follow that but that's it you know rate and review our show if you're listening you know that helps people find us our yeah you know, i think we only have like five ratings on itunes but we have a lot more listeners than that so if you do give us a rating uh please do it helps uh, our show find more people and uh, I feel like we've been having such a blast doing this. Uh, I hope everybody's enjoying the content, listening to it. And uh, we'll catch you all next time. We're going to be having uh, LA Galaxy preview next. Then we have a Seattle preview probably within the week. And then uh, from there, we start the East. So really looking forward to that. And we'll catch you all next time. Thanks for hanging out. Throw of his body in, it's going to fall for Ibrahimovic! Oh, come on! Come on! Thank you for listening to Stoppage Time Soccer Show. We hope that you continue to listen to our show as we recap the U.S. Men's National Team, Americans Abroad, MLS, USL. This is Stateside Soccer Show presented by Stoppage Time Soccer Show. Have a good one.